the blast from our past network. Folks, this just in. The ongoing comic book discussion podcast confirms comic books are cool. Welcome to a special episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Tess. And we have with us John from the Blast From Our Past podcast. Introduce yourself, John. Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, uh, John um, uh, is a friend of ours um, from uh, another podcast and uh, a friend in personal life. I don't know how we're supposed to say that, but (laughs) he's a friend. He's my my friend, Tess's friend. We're only virtual Uh, friends as of right now, me and John. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we uh, we were excited to have him on because uh, John and his brother Adam have a podcast that's freaking awesome. I've been listening to it since day one called The Blast From Our Past Podcast. And uh, they they mostly talk about movies and TVs and cartoons and stuff but both of them are very strong comic book fans uh and yeah. we thought this would be a good uh good opportunity to have john on the show so uh give us a little little backstory my friend yeah well first off i'm honored that i'm your first guest yes um, there you go. oh yeah <laughs> and uh i don't really know how i feel about that i don't know if i should be the first one uh yeah so my name is john i'm one of the co-hosts of blast from our podcast um with my brother adam where we again as you mentioned talk about mostly nostalgic movies and tv shows from our childhood uh, we've sort of branched off into some other things we also talk about albums we'll do album reviews nice. of uh st- you know albums we grew up with we started doing this fun little top 10 thing where we do these random top 10 things and those are actually a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh, just kind of tie it in and just to kind of give more uh content because the the movie reviews that we do are pretty extensive and take a little while to edit so it's nice to have some extra stuff that we can throw in there awesome so you're a you're a child of the 80s so mostly 80s stuff you guys do or uh well mostly it we kind of do 70s 80s and 90s is okay. sort of our our general stuff most of it is like late 80s to early mid 90s because that's sort of the the window um i was born in 1980 and my brother was born in 1985, so we have we, there's enough of a difference where we kind of have a you know a nostalgia our nostalgia especially for uh, TV shows and cartoons is a little different because I remember things from a kid that where he was too young for right so but it, anything that we grew up with or nostalgic for will you know we'll go for and, and and we'll have guests who have a completely different nostalgia than we do which is nice because then it allows us to branch out um we we've had someone who had us uh talk about spongebob which was not Ah. a show i grew up with (laughs) but it was a show they grew up with so we got to talk about it and even uh most recently we just recorded our um uh, our episode with our oldest movie yet which is actually also coming out in February, so it might be around this time. Oh. And we talked about The Wizard of Oz. Oh, nice. Uh, with nice. our mother, so that was way with far back. With your mom? That's yeah. so cool. That's really special. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, guys did did, one with, you guys did one ahead. with your dad, uh, where I think you reviewed Billy Jack, wasn't it? Yeah, we talked about Billy Jack, which is a movie that he introduced us to. And so uh, we wanted to get our, our mother on there as well. And The Wizard of Oz was, was a movie that she you know, loved watching as a kid, so we talked about that. We even talked about, actually, Johnny Quest, uh, the original 1960s Johnny Quest, not the one that came out in the 80s. So right. 
it's it, that sort of thing has afforded us uh, opportunities to revisit things that even even we didn't really watch. So that part's been nice. And the funny thing is, um, Blast from Our Past was actually the inspiration for me to do podcasting after dark. Aww. And uh, it's it's almost like uh, Krampus being the dark shadow of Santa Claus. <laughs> podcasting <laughs> after dark is the dark shadow of Blast from Our Past. Oh, nice. Because Zach and I always do uh, more of the, the darker movies from our nostalgia right. that we watched on Cinemax, you know, in the 80s growing up. So, uh, but but the, it is true that, that the Blast from Our Past was the, inse- uh, the inspiration to that so and i i, I appreciate think, that yeah Aww. no no problem buddy i'm and like i said i don't bs anybody if i if i say i like a podcast i genuinely like a <laughs> podcast and i've been listening to you guys since since day one so props to you um Thank tess you. tess what is your just as so john sort of gets an idea what is your nostalgic uh, uh decade range would we say the 90s. I was the born 90s. in 90. So it's it's the 90s and early 2000s for me. Mostly nice. um, like music stuff. Less. I didn't really get into film till I was uh, probably in college. And I became I like a super nerd, especially when I married my husband. I was like, oh, we could be nerds together. Awesome. <laughs> so I'm like, a, I like to say I'm a late blooming nerd. So I'm like, oh, this world is so cool. So but I do have like Though I don't have nostalgia when it comes to the 70s and 80s, I certainly mm-hmm. appreciate it and understand. And I love to like watch those type of movies to realize like how far we've come for movies and um, pop culture and stuff like that. So I'm all about that. <laughs> and, nice. and I think all of us have a pretty nerdy spouse. Uh, John, isn't, doesn't your wife read comics? I think I hear on the, the podcast you mentioned she, she used to in college or something. Uh, I mean, she used to read comics when she was a kid. Okay, um, we have we have a pretty big stack of old comics that she got from her parents that um, I've I've yet to go through. Actually, oddly enough, I think she got most of them from her brother. Um, really? She used to read a lot of aliens comics. Oh, like, I mean, cool. the dark horse, like, like the yeah, like the xenomorph alien stuff. Oh. Dude, okay. Oh, I'm gonna have to tell you off offline because I actually have a re- really good idea for a comic book podcast that's centered on that universe. <laughs> but it's a really cool name, and I don't want to put it out in the ether because Ooh, I no. haven't. Uh, no I worries. think I, I think I have the URL, but I, I yeah. Anyways, we'll we'll talk offline about it. <laughs> we'll because, talk later. Yeah, I was. Um, that was uh, comic book wise. I'm. I don't know if I've talked about it extensively, but I grew up reading. Obviously, uh, Tess knows, all of our listeners know, I've been reading comics my entire life, but um, right. I didn't read a lot of superhero stuff as a kid. I uh, My first comic that I collected was The Punisher, and <laughs> that led my parents to take me to gun safety class because they were, <laughs> they were a little bit worried because I started drawing pictures of people getting shot. And, uh, and I was like, eh, I'm not really into real guns. I just want to read the comics. Uh, but then... <laughs> I, in the 90s, I went very, very heavy into the Dark Horse uh, uh, licensed universe. I read everything. Mm-hmm. I was reading Predator. I was reading uh, Terminator. I was reading The Thing. I was reading Aliens, like all of them, and yeah. and very, very much enjoyed those. Um, and then I was always more of a Marvel kid. If I did skew it just towards superheroes, I skewed towards uh, Marvel. And then right. as I got older, I grew to appreciate the, the I iconicness of DC characters um, because I thought they were a little cheesy when I was a kid but as I got older I actually really enjoy more of the colorfulness of them and the time that I got into DC Comics was when they were starting to mimic Marvel trying to be all dark and and, you know like the movies and stuff and I was like no guys DC is supposed to be bright and colorful and I like that now the movies are kind of skewing in that direction now that they're moving away from like the Christopher Nolan 
you know, direction. I like that Shazam right. is a bit more colorful. I like that Aquaman is a bit more colorful. Um, yeah. John Aquaman's really pretty. What? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty, pretty man. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, what, what kind of comics did you specifically read? I, I know you're a big uh, Deadpool fan. Yeah, Deadpool was our our favorite, and and by our, I usually mean me and my brother. Uh, mm-hmm. My sister really did not read uh, comics all that much, um, and we uh, we didn't really have the luxury of getting like a regular comic. We didn't have a regular comic book store that we would go to, so any chance we got to get a comic, it was usually you know, whatever caught our eye. Um, but we did have some that uh, became favorites. Um, uh, our our favorite sort of Marvel character is Deadpool, and and we can actually pinpoint to the exact issue that drew us to Deadpool. Really? Yeah. What, so what year it, was it? Uh, oh, God. Uh, this would have been mid-90s, I think. I actually mm-hmm. don't know the year it came out. I really should know that. Adam would, <laughs> Adam would know off the top of his head. Um, but it was Wolverine issue 88. Mm. And the cover of it is 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 the characters. They're sort of in shadowed silhouette, but it's basically um, if you saw the Deadpool movie, uh, there's a scene where he's got a guy up on both of his swords, and it kind of pauses there, and that is sort of an homage to that cover where he has oh. two swords up, and he's got Wolverine um, hanging upside down, and he's like skewered him on his swords. On his, oh, cool. Uh, and he's he's actually more of a bad guy in that episode because he started out sort of as a as a as a bad guy essentially and then sort of skewed into protagonist yeah protagonist vigilante or anti-hero realm and anti-hero yeah Yeah. that was the word i was looking for did did you john did you have the uh the rob liefeld new mutants uh issue where he he him and domino and everybody were, were kind of introduced i didn't when i was a kid but since i became adult i do have that now yeah, yeah, me me too. And um yeah, Rob Liefeld. It's uh Tess, I'm gonna have to one of these days show you some Rob Liefeld work. It's not great. And uh oh, great. Wonderful. But he he creates interesting characters. Okay. I will give him that. He he has created a few <laughs> interesting characters. Is this yes. the Deadpool guy? Is it Deadpool Cable and Domino, yeah. Yeah, oh, all okay. came out of Rob Liefeld's uh, um crazy mind. Although I will give give him credit for this. He was probably the first mainstream rock star uh comic book artist back mm. in the early nineties. I think yeah. he had a, a Nike ad or something. Like he he remember he was what? something um, oh, wow. Yeah, he had something ad that that was kind of everywhere. So he was one of the the very first mainstream comic book artists to to sort of pop. Um, nice. Tess, to get yes. John sort of caught up, what is your reading history, and what's like what's your favorite comic? What what are you what do you skew in comic book realm? Well, um, it started off with Elvira. That's what got me into comic books. Elvira is my girl. I don't know if you listened to the Elvira episode, but I'm a little obsessed with her, especially on <laughs> Halloween time. So when I heard on the Boo, the Boo Crew podcast that she had a comic book, I was like, ah, we got to go. That night we went, and then I was, like, hooked. It was like um, – but, yeah, I, I, I think because I have such, like, um, a sporty background that I really like the – 
the female warrior type <laughs> of comic books, which Red Sonia is perfect. Um, and I mean, but I like, honestly, I like everything. I like ones that make you think, I don't know if you guys ever heard of this one, but it's, um, it's Mary Shelley's Monster Hunter. We'll have to do that one on here. Hmm. It's a new one, but it's basically, it's about just how um, Victor Frankenstein is actually Victoria Frankenstein and how it's like, just everything's different. I like, I like where it makes you think um, differently about the world that you usually know about. I like those. I'm very open, though. Corey could tell you. I'm very open. I even like Lady Mechanica. Um, mm-hmm. And <laughs> Have you read I Lady Mechanica? I listened to that episode. No, I haven't, I haven't read it, but I did listen to that episode, and um, I did go out and look at it, and mm-hmm. I did like the art. I mean, it looks amazing, right? but yeah. as per your episode, I didn't buy it because didn't, it didn't sound like I was going to like it, so... That's okay. I yeah, mean, no, it's yeah. it's, and I and I think that's I think that's what we're trying to do here. You know, we 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 want to be honest, and as much as yeah, I love that artwork, and I think we talked about it in in that episode. There is no shame in saying I picked up this comic for the artwork because yeah. I got to tell you, I have my easy thirty long boxes in my mom's basement, and seventy five percent of the comics in there I picked up because I just like the artwork. I mean, yeah. I yeah. am. I'm an artist's artist. I, I love, you know, I grew up, like, loving, like, Sam Keith, uh, Mike Mignola. I always mm-hmm. like kind of weird fringe sort of artist. Um, and even now I love, like, Frank Whiteley and whatnot. But uh, but I definitely think the, the, the Elvira had great art in it. I love the art in Elvira mm. comic book. Yeah, and, definitely. I mean, I think that comic books are the one medium where you can actually judge a book by its cover. Like, that's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I never really understood, you know, sometimes why they had guys who specifically would draw the covers that, you know, they'd have somebody else who drew the entire issue, but somebody else draw the covers. And then right. you realize most of the time, if especially if you don't already have a, 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 a hook into the, the world or to the character, if you just go to the comic book store, you're looking at the covers and that's literally what you're grabbing. Oh, that's grabs you know that's what grabs me so i that now i totally understand and tess mm-hmm. didn't you fall into that uh trap at the beginning with with elvira and all the different covers <laughs> that they that they had yes oh my gosh yeah uh, so we had, i don't know if you heard our comic books 101 episode which you were probably like yelling at us like no it's actually this or that you like you knew it you probably knew the comic books 101 but anyway that one i had no idea that there were variant cover arts and so yeah. i would buy the same issue with a different cover thinking it was the same But I blame that on my husband because he was right next to me (laughs) when I bought it. So, John, that's on you. Not you, John. Sorry, my husband's name is John. That's all right. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. I have a a funny story about that. I've slowly started to get my children into comic books. Um, Nice. Right? My my son's right now is his his two favorites are he'll read Simpsons comics and DuckTales. DuckTales! Nice! And my daughter... um, She'll read. She likes the Simpsons one as well, and the Ducktales ones because she watches a lot of the same stuff he does. But oddly enough, so my so my son is ten, my daughter is seven. Oh. She is in love with Stranger Things. Okay, uh, righteously so. Yeah. Yes. So there was like a four issue uh, comic that came out recently, and every time we go to the store, I'd say, "Okay, go find your comic." And usually she would go there. Three times I didn't check. Three times she came with a comic, and it turned out to be the same comic. Just, a just with a cover. variant cover, yeah. See, and this was your when you're like, "Listen here, kid. Let me teach you a thing or two about comics." <laughs> well, and I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't bother to check. I was, I was, I was usually looking for my own stuff. And she's oh, like, "All right, gotcha. I want this one. Okay, that's what you want." Then I'll go buy it, and we get home, and 
I go, well, how was the issue? She's always oh, the same one as last time. Uh, <laughs> and she told you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we've all of us, no matter, you know, what age we get into comics. I think we've all fallen for the variant cover, you know, uh, gag. Yeah. I, I, we Tess, you, we've all fallen for it. Every single you comic book reader out there has fallen for the same thing, whether we know it or not. Like, meaning, like, I've looked at it and like. It's the same issue, but I love this artist. Like maybe it's an Adam Hughes cover or something or, or a Linzer cover. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll drop the $3 just to have this one cover. And I do yeah. love in these trades, like especially this this Red Sonia trade, I love right. it when they put all the covers in the back. But when I was... When I was working at Diamond Comic Distributors and we got everything for like 50% off, I was like, oh, well, look at this awesome Adam Hughes cover for Wonder Woman you know, 488. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. What is it? I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to get it for a buck. Who cares? And it's going <laughs> to yeah. come right out of my paycheck. I'm not going to have to like pay for it. So I'm like, ah, screw it. <laughs> and that's why for, you know, the two years that I was there, I barely had a paycheck. But uh, that's yeah. that's neither here nor there. But, <laughs> yeah. John, I, I told Tess this before, but dude, like working at Diamond, like we got to order from the previews catalog every month mm-hmm. and we would get the discount that the highest uh comic book store would get so like our statues would be 50 percent off like all the oh, all nice. the action figures that you see you know yeah. that you normally go and buy for 20 dollars, we would get them for 10 dollars or five dollars whatever it was it was i, mean, I had I have so much crap in my mom's I was gonna, uh, well how much stuff do you still have that's in your house now that you got that, too like, much, too, too much. much. <laughs> and, well, and it's not in my house here. It's in my mom's house in Maryland. So this summer, I think, <laughs> has to be the big year because my coming mom this summer in coming this attic. summer. Look, follow our Instagram because I'm going to be posting a lot of pictures Please. because. When I go home, I'm going to oh have to gosh. go through all of that. Corey, like, we have to do an episode live from Mom's Attic. You know what? <laughs> live from Mom's basement. I'll bring basement. my I'll bring my gear home and, yeah. uh, and we'll, we'll set it up and go through it. Um, yes. But the, let's, uh, the question let's, is, is where yeah. is your wife going to let you put it? True that. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> well, on one hand, we have more space because we're in Oregon. We're not in L.A. anymore, so we have a bit more space. But on the other hand, all the free space that's taken up in this apartment is my crap. My <laughs> wife doesn't have very – she has very little crap. All of my – like, all of her stuff is – this is functional. This is what you use to like either wear or something. All of my stuff is like here's clothes, and then here's just a bunch of Boba like Fett. knickknacks and yeah, Boba <laughs> right. Fett's and, and stuff. And it's like, well, okay, but what do you do with this every day? I'm like, I don't know. I stare at it. I just stare and <laughs> I look love at it. it. Love it from a distance. Love See, it from a distance. I, I don't have that problem because oh. my wife has as much crap as I do. Oh. Um, in fact, if you walk into my house. Uh, if you walk all the way through sort of the main uh, alleyway in the beginning, all the way to the end, the, you will come face to face with this big giant display case full of Lord of the Rings stuff because my wife is a Lord of the Rings fanatic. Nice. That's so that's awesome. that's her that's her thing, right? That's her thing, and she's into like all the other sort of pop culture stuff uh, that I am. Comic books. She, I've tried to get her back into comic books. I fell back into comic books hard about a year ago, mm-hmm. and I have just been I've been hitting trades. Left and right. As nice. Every time I every time I set foot in a comic book store, I come out with something. 
Yeah, um, as so as I, someone who's been reading for the be- most of their life, it's it's like a roller coaster. Sometimes I'll go like a year or more where I barely read yeah. anything new, or I'll just mm-hmm. kind of grab trades off my shelf, and then I'll go through a year where I'm just like ravenous for like new stuff. And uh, yeah. I found this, you know, it, I mean, it can get expensive after a while. And I, I found <laughs> this uh, this used bookstore in by my old apartment in L.A. that had the Iliad. A, yeah, the Iliad. Oh my gosh! Shout out to the Iliad. Uh, it's yeah. a a great used bookstore in, in a world where used bookstores are are, are gone pr- right. pretty much and it has a fantastic selection of trade paperbacks uh used and i mean you know i've picked up so much stuff i picked up multiple copies of things just because it was like seven dollars yeah. uh, i think i bought two copies of that uh batman comic where where it, it was the rebirth it's the new one uh, i think it's all-star oh. batman Hush? where he has to oh no n- uh, it's it's the one where he has to take um, uh, Two Face like basically out of yeah. Arkham, and it's like yes. it's like Mad Max, like a bunch of people are like after them, and Batman just gets messed up. Anyways, I bought like two copies of it, like just to have them uh, because it was like seven bucks, you know, uh, mm-hmm. used. Yeah. Um, and and I know that sucks. Like you you got to give love and support to the comic book stores because they're they're right. you know they're they're not going to be around forever, and they're always kind of struggling. And I I love a good Don't comic book that. store, guys. Trust me, but. <laughs> Uh, I got to read most of my stuff on tablet just because of space wise, you know, like that's the, the, the hardest part about collecting comics is the space, especially living right. in LA was the, yeah. that was, that was super hard because you know, you're living in a dang, a dang closet to begin with. You can't have mm-hmm. half of your stuff be like, you know, long boxes, unfortunately. I, yeah. you know? I have to say my favorite thing about comics is that you'll collect a bunch over time and then when your friends come over who also love comics, you can share with them. Like we've inherited so much from you, so much from <laughs> other friends and they'll just come over and they'll give me like the whole, we just got the whole saga series from our buddy Pete who just visited from San Francisco. He's like, Hey, I got you this for your podcast. Boom. Like all of saga. <laughs> and you're like, I love comic book community. It's awesome. And you're like, here, what can I give you? Oh my God. Wait, <laughs> you just yeah. want to share the stories and yeah. I love it. I do, I do, that's the one thing I dislike about uh, the tablet is that you can't let people, you know, borrow it. And then, of course, like, I wouldn't let people borrow single issues, but trades, I have no, I don't give a crap about trades. So, like, uh, you know, like, yeah, I don't care if you, you know, give it back to me, it's bent up, whatever, I don't care. I I just want you to read, like, I feel like trades are for reading, comic Mm -hmm. books are, you know, the individual issues that you put in the the Mylar, the plastic bags, is that's for collecting, and I just, I don't, I can't collect anymore, so I'll just... Just, uh, I'll read them on on the tablet, um, but I do I do love that about the comic book community. I do feel that we're we're all very good about letting each other or like trying to get each other excited about new comic books and and letting yeah. each other borrow trades and whatnot. Right? Yeah, I don't uh, I don't collect issues. Oh, I, well, I shouldn't say I don't collect issues, but I don't get issues anymore to read. I only ever just buy trades because I don't want to wait. I'd rather yeah. just, just read huh? the whole story. Yeah. The only anytime anymore. The only reason I ever get is a specific issue is because of either some sort of nostalgic, you know, love for that issue, or I'm trying to collect it. I'm not even trying to get the, a big collection going on. There's just certain issues. The last, uh, and this is, um, uh, in our, in our, in our modern movement, this, they would, this would never happen again, but I do remember this as a kid. So I just recently got all five of the, Marvel Illustrated swimsuit issues <laughs> that they did in the in the nineties. 
I had th- those are in my mom's basement. That's for sure. <laughs> I have uh, I have I'm them. Interested. I think I have two of them or something. Yeah, it's it's uh, a bunch of pinups um, that oh yeah, God, a bunch of awesome. artists did. Yeah, and it's and if you look at it now, and I'm picturing the one on, in my head. I think it's either Rogue or Storm is on the cover, and the waterfall. There's- uh, the waterfall that would be storm. Okay, yeah. If you look through it, the best part of it, because the the artwork is hit or miss here and there. Yeah. But the best part of it is seeing the fantastically eighties, uh, you know, uh, uh, swimsuits that that right. they all basically drew drew the people in, and they they yeah. drew guy guys and gals. Like they they yeah. it was definitely very much both everybody, you know, uh, all inclusive, I should say. Well, yeah. speaking of bikinis, how about Red Sonia's <laughs> bikini? <laughs> nice segue. Great segue. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I love you, I was like, well, we could talk about this. I'm down for just an hour of just talking about comic books. Yeah. The title says Red Sonia, so. <laughs> yeah, so so this, we're, this um, episode is John's recommendation. Uh, we are reading Yay. or discussing Red Sonia, the Queen of Plague's trade paperback uh, mm-hmm. by I believe Dynamite right Dynamite puts uh, out the yes. Red Sonia stuff yeah. and yes. um, and I believe it's written by Gail Gail, Gail Simone. Simone yeah mm-hmm. yep so it's this not is... a not a girl Gail boy Gail right no it's a girl no Gail. it's a girl oh, it it's is a, girl. a good gr- a girl yeah yes cool yep. you see how excited I was it's g- 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 <laughs> yeah 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 no she's she's a very very prolific um, uh, writer I believe yeah. John correct me if I'm wrong did she not work on uh, Captain Marvel at some point as well um i don't know if she worked on captain marvel i know um she did a big stints on dc's birds of prey Mm -hmm. um i know she did a wonder woman stint she did a deadpool stint um and i think she did some batgirl as well okay yeah, oh, nice. she's yeah, she's 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 big time. She's real, real, real popular. Yeah. Uh, um, a really, really good comic book writer. Um, the artwork is fantastic in this, mm-hmm. and uh, I've. I've read Red Sonia comics before. I'm familiar with the, uh, you know, obviously the movie as well. Um, mm-hmm. And since this was John's recommendation, I know he's read Red Sonia as well. Uh, Tess, is mm-hmm. this your? Uh, do you have familiarity with with Red Sonia going into this, or was this your your first foray into her? I knew what she looked like, oddly enough, but I and I knew honestly it was because of Comic Con. Like I saw her, mm. and I was like, "What is that costume?" And I looked her up, <laughs> but I never. And then Corey, you gave me a bunch of um, issues before you left for Oregon, and so I have her up there. But yeah, when you said Red Sonia, I was like, "Yeah, let's get around to that. Like, let's let's read it." <laughs> yeah, and and we're uh, well, it's it's funky how we're we're recording this. We literally just did uh our new format only one episode ago, but you guys are all and gals are going to be listening to this in February. So in theory, we're still going to stick with our new format uh unless something changes, but uh <laughs> the the new format is Tess is going to give us just an overall summary of this trade and then we are just going to have Full spoiler, fun conversation, wherever it goes about it. Yeah. So if, if you all have not read it, um, you know, you might want to going into it. But, I mean, it's your it's your usual, you know, your usual Red Sony affair. So I, I think you can kind of follow along. But uh, yeah. Tess, would you do the honors? I would. And I was going to make a summary, like, at the end, because I couldn't find any, like, really detailed summary online that was already made because there is so much happening in this. So I just took the summary that was on Hoopla which is like you guys it, it's kind of like a generic summary but we can deep dive into this okay okay 
Gail Simone, Batgirl, Birds of Prey, gives the iconic fantasy heroine a fresh new attitude. Red Sonia, the she-devil with a sword, intends to pay back a blood debt owed to the one man who has gained her respect, even if it means leading a doomed army to their certain deaths. Who is Dark Anasia, and how has this fearsome warrior accomplished what no god nor demon has been able to do, force Sonia to her knees and surrender? An epic tale of blood, lust, and vengeance, Queen of Plagues takes Red Sonia from the depths of her own grave to the heights of battlefield glory. Yeah, honestly, I think that was, that? that was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> nice. that was a good job, Poopla. <laughs> that was a yeah. good one. As, as someone who just read the comic this morning at 7 a.m., I was like, that's pretty pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, pretty on the nose. There There is so much happening. I started writing notes, and then I just stopped. I just started writing <laughs> words. I was like, mask. Red. Well, John, <laughs> John, let me throw this at you. Um, sure. Because I've, I've read, read some Red Sonia. We all are familiar with her. Why did you p- uh, pick this trade in particular? And where does it fit in the overall sort of like, like do, do the Red Sonia trades, are they all sort of standalone stories, you know, or, or is there an overall arching arc? Can you give us a little, a little insight into it? Because I think Tess and I aren't as familiar with the character as you are. Yeah, so the I I was introduced by saying that I fell in love with Red Sonia from the movie. Yes, the me too. Nineteen eighty five film. Nice. Um and uh you can listen to my brother and I review that film on one of our episodes of Blast from Our Past Podcast. Solid plug. <laughs> I'd throw that in there. Um Ooh. Cool. But she she came out and uh there was um oh and I can never remember the guy who wrote the Conan books. Um he had a sir, character. Is it Sir is it Sir Arthur S- Shoot. Something. Yeah. Sir, Sir Arthur, Arthur Shoot. Shoot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That guy. Um, uh, he had a character in one of the books called Red Sonia, but it was not necessarily the same. And it was actually, we have Marvel Comics to thank for the iteration of of Red Sonia that we know. Right. Um, she, they started writing her, I think around like 73. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're um, right. I'm sorry. Of course you're right. I just read that. <laughs> yes. Go on. Sorry. I get um, really excited when I'm like, I read that. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it did a, did about a decade long run of her at Marvel Comics, and then she kind of fell off. And then Dynamite picked it up in 2005, and they had a run that ran there from 2005 to 2013. And to be honest, um, I kind of read sporadic Red Sonia's then. Um, the 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 mid to late aughts was uh, when I sort of had a comic book renaissance. I did nothing from the late 90s for about a decade because I was busy, you know, in college and doing all the other stuff that you do when you're attempting to be an adult and then you realize you don't want to be an adult anymore and you go back to what you did as a kid. (laughs) Yep. That's why we're here. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. (laughs) I think that's why all of us have podcasts. Let's talk about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so I I didn't really follow that story, but um, when Gail Simone started writing, it kind of was like a reboot. So mm. she kind of changed a little bit of what was going on. And I've never really sort of read into any sort of long story with her. I just like the individual stories. So I don't, I don't worry too much about an, any sort of overall arc with her. Is gotcha. this the first trade, the first Gail Simone trade of the reboot? Or is this just like a random middle one? Um, My honest answer is I don't know. 
Okay. okay. No, that's hey, that's what we do on this podcast. I yep. if I don't know something, I'll tell you. And I think it's 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 great because like the comic book medium in general, there's just so many branching ways that you can go and and different yeah. levels of fandom. Like nothing precludes you. Like your everyone's opinion is just as valid as anyone else, whether they've been reading comics for forty years or they've been reading comics for four months. It doesn't matter, you know. Right. And uh, we do like to like sort of facilitate that on this show and not ever you know shame any anything uh, we want everyone to be inclusive on here so uh i'm i'm with you by the way i was into red sonia in that early stage of dynamite but it never mm-hmm. she never really kind of grasped on to me like i, I never I, I never really got into it that hard yeah. um mm-hmm. i will say this reading the queen of plagues i very much enjoyed this as as like yeah. a story and everything and it definitely i very much also enjoyed gail simone's writing of the character um mm-hmm. and and I can't, like, you know, give any kind of, like, recollection to the earlier stuff, but I got to say I, I kind of like this better than the earlier Dynamite Entertainment yeah. uh, Red Sonia stuff. Um, uh, Tess, overall, what are your what are your thoughts on the Queen of Plagues trade overall when you read it? I liked it. I liked how many elements there were in it that made it kind of whole and it kind of came together in the end. Um, last week uh, off air, you asked me what I thought about her outfit, um, mm. and- <laughs> yeah, and, and to give you guys like a little bit of a backstory on that, Tess and I were talking about Wonder Woman, and we were kind of talking about like what skirts the line between like sexual versus empowering. And you know, right. I'm a I'm a guy, so I'm like I think Red Sony is hot, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm aware. Like I go into reading Red Sony because I'm like she's hot, I like the way she looks, but then I'm also aware that she could beat me up, and she's not at all weak. <laughs> you know, so I asked. Tess, I was like, so like, what is that line, and 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 how do you how do you skirt it? Like, what, what are your thoughts on Red Sonia in general with the outfit? Is that too sexualized and whatnot? And I was curious to to get your thoughts on it. I think that the line is drawn um, when a woman uses her sexuality to get advantage, like that. I'm not about, but I definitely think that this was Red Sonia here is played really well. I actually think it was really empowering that she's just in a what is it, a chainmail or like a metal plated bikini? Yeah, because, pretty much. Yeah, she's like, she's like, I am exposed, I am vulnerable, and you're still not going to kill me. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and she's right. Like, nobody yeah. kills her. She doesn't actually need those metal plates on her boobs and booty, but they, right. it looks great. <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't think anything bad about it. I honestly, it was, especially because it was written by, well, not, it wasn't created by a woman, but because it was told in a woman's point of view and like I trusted it, I was like, eh, you know, but um, I, I could ask you guys what you think, but I'm sure it's all uh, thumbs up. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to it's it's hard to put a finger on it because at this point her look is so iconic that sure. if you changed it, it wouldn't be Red Sony anymore. Right. But uh, a lot of a lot like uh, what Corey said, you know, as a, especially as a teenage boy, you know, you see Red Sony, you're like, yeah, I'm going to read that. <laughs> and I think sometimes they, if, if they don't, if she's not written well, then it just, it doesn't give anything to the character. Sure. But I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this particular trade, because I love what Gail Simone did for her. She gave her flaws without it being... One, they didn't detract from how powerful she is. Because right. we all know, I mean, she's, you know, she's the female Conan without the brow beating. Mm-hmm. Um, but they gave her flaws that 
work with her character and don't detract from anything. Yeah, I agree with that. And one of the things, like, kind of talking about the costume, I hate it. Honestly, I do truly hate it as much as I love her costume. I hate it when she's, right. like, wearing that costume but in the snow or something. I'm like, come on. <laughs> you know, like, you've seen it before. She has a cape on, Corey. Didn't like, you see it? Her cape ridiculous. keeps her warm. I know. I, it's a magical <laughs> cape. But in here, I like the fact that they gave her different outfits to wear, mm-hmm. and they were all right. they all looked, you know, like, like actually functional. Um, her, yeah. her winter garb was different. And then at the end where she's wearing like the full armor and it's, yeah. you know, and it's not your, not your typical sexualized armor where the stomach mm-hmm. is exposed. Like Tess and I talked about in the, the Wonder Woman movie where all the Amazons have their, you know, their stomachs exposed because it's Justice sexy. Yeah. Oh, I actually you go. have yeah. something to say about that. Mm, okay. Please. So, <laughs> um, I, um, I read an interview um, and this, this I, I had the same reaction. Actually, my wife had the exact same reaction. Actually, not about the not about the the uh, um, the Themysciurians, but just about Wonder Woman herself. Um, just how the the costume changed from Wonder Woman to uh, Justice League. Right. But I read an article that was written by one of the stunt women. How she, she preferred the costumes from Justice League because the stunts were so demanding. It was actually harder to do them in the other costumes because they restricted movement more now that's strictly from a logistical standpoint of what she had to do for her job which was a lot of flipping around and doing you know big motions and Mm -hmm. the less stuff actually made it easier for her to do her job so the stunt people it sounded like they preferred the second one only for the logistical reasons not because of how they look but then you still also have to take into account you know what are people seeing on the screen and taking away from it Right. So I'm not really giving an opinion on this more so as I'm sort of trying to give both sides of what I've heard. Although, honestly, I don't know what to think. <laughs> and it's okay, too. It's just, uh, like, I'm I'm not someone that's like, no, you have to cover them up and dress them correctly and da-da-da-da. It's more like, what are we taking away from it? Are we, yes. you know what I mean? It's, it, like you said, yeah, what are we taking away from it? What are we, um, what are we gaining from this this perspective this costume like as long as you don't think as long as you still think that the muscurians are freaking amazing then cool great who cares what they're wearing you know but uh, on the other hand i'm also a big fan of consistency and if you're gonna put one thing in one movie don't change it for the next movie agreed yeah Yeah. I'm, i'm with you there now i will say in this comic I do you guys remember in the flashback where her family's getting killed and everything and I think like like a, one of the bandits is holding like young Red Sonia and she stabs him in the gut and right. and the funny thing is if you notice he has chest armor but she stabbed him in the stomach where there was no armor and I almost felt like it was the artist or, or Gail Simone saying look you need <laughs> like armor down to your yeah. stomach like this is right. this is like you know he got killed the way like a female you know a warrior woman would be killed back then if if she wore silly armor like that but john you're 100 percent correct mm-hmm. i mean at this point the armor is as iconic as red sonia herself and even if they draw her in, in sort of different outfits you still need it to sort of be the same kind of like how you can do batman in different costumes but it still has with to bat so, nipples yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> with bat nipples but it still has to have some of the same features that you sort of expect yeah. 
from from Batman, you know, and I think Red mm-hmm. Sonia is sort of the same way. And you, I mean, it's I mean, like we're not going to beat around the bush. She, I mean, obviously, she did start out as a very sexualized version of Conan. And, right. you know, and, and I guarantee you that that costume was designed to allure young men to go read the comics like us, because that's honestly that's what the market was back then. I mean. The sad thing is I think they didn't know that females were reading the comics. They assumed that it was 99% boys, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, we they were luckily. Right, yeah. Well, and, and, and to a degree they were right because mm-hmm. I used to go to comic book conventions back in the, the late 80s, early 90s. And back when they were – when a comic book convention was literally just a, a Marriott, you know, conference room with a bunch of dudes with long boxes just selling their comics out of long boxes. And I will tell you – there were no women there whatsoever. It was one yeah. woman to a hundred dudes and it didn't smell great in those things. So <laughs> it just, just the way it was. And, I, and, and, you know, now, you know, like I, I know now that my wife was a nerd when she was growing up, but like she had to like, you know, she didn't really, it wasn't very open. It wasn't very, yeah. you know, didn't, she didn't talk about star Wars and stuff, but you know, there are women who like all that kind of stuff when they were growing up, even back in the seventies and the eighties. It's just mm-hmm. the, the, the industry wasn't very open to them, you know, as you can see from yeah. all yeah. The, the styles of comic books or all the all the female characters. I mean, come on, 99 percent of mm-hmm. them are drawn to just allure, you know, boys right. to, to go read the comics. And now we live in a world where, yeah, Wonder Woman can wear an outfit that's not sexualized and, and right. you can create new female characters that don't freaking just have their a giant cleavage, you know, their their half shirt. Uh, John. Remember when they rebooted um, Fantastic Four and they gave Sue Storm that, like, transparent four on her chest to give her that, like, uh, uh, it was, like, late 90s. And just look it up. Uh, it's so, so overtly sexual. The the four on her on just her chest was right. transparent so you could see her cleavage. And then it was cropped in half and, her you know, her arms were fully exposed. And then right. you go see Mr. Fantastic and he's wearing the normal costume that's the normal co- – it's like they just redesigned Sue Storm to make her right. more sexual. And it's yeah. like, oh, oh. Even, even when I was a kid, I was like, I like it, but it's not in good taste. Even I could yeah. tell. Yeah. As, a, as a young perv, I could tell that it was not in good taste. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, well, I do have a vague memory of that, although I'll be honest with you uh, – I am not a fan of the Fantastic Four. Really? <laughs> no, I find them incredibly boring. Yeah, they are kind of boring. It's just kind of like a redone story. And I've even read the comic book because I have no interest to read the comic book. Like, even from yeah. the movies, I'm like, okay, and so this is the X-Men, like, basically. like I, I mean, yeah. it's not the X-Men, but they have, like, people with superpowers. And I don't know. It was, yeah, yeah it was boring. Yeah. I, I, I was never, never a big fan either, even though, you know, they're the, the first family of comic books. They've been around forever. I still think that uh, they're they're not that great at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm sure we have people yelling at us like, oh, and hey, guys and gals out there, uh, please recommend um, on our social media channels or something. If you like Fantastic Four and you think there's like a good story that we should read yeah. to kind of, you know, like the characters, please feel free to, to recommend it to us. We're uh, I'm always We're open. open. To, and, and that's yeah. the cool thing about comic comic books like like you can have characters that have been around for so long that you might not like them for years but then they could all of a sudden reboot them they could get mm-hmm. a new creative team on them and then all of a sudden they're doing something really awesome and you're like oh man like where have they been around you know uh, uh forever like i i remember what got me me back into comics was when warren ellis uh sort of 
rebooted Stormwatch for Wildstorm and then Stormwatch like sort of transitioned into um, uh, the Authority and Planetary. And uh, John, I I don't know if you've read Authority and Planetary, but my goal is to get Tess to read them because those Mm -hmm. are my favorite, two favorite comic books pretty much of all time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, besides her sexual nature, um, I thought the story was really good too. Like it was there. It was like, yeah, it was, it's not medieval. It's like a different time period that they made up. I can't remember what it's called, but it starts with an H or something like that. But I, but it's world building, which Corey right. and I love. And yeah. um, you do too, right? I mean. Oh yeah. And uh, I mean, this was, to be honest, one of the reasons why I picked this one. One, I've always been a fan of Red Sonia the character, but I could mm-hmm. never pick out like, one particular story that I thought, you know, was really great until I read this trade. Uh. And I was like, this is the best overarching story I've read in trade for Red Sonia probably mm-hmm. ever. So I I loved it. And if you um I don't know, do you guys I don't I know you read most of the stuff on Comicsology, right? Hoopla. Uh, oh, both. Yeah. Yeah, either both. or yeah. Okay. Hoopla or Comicsology. Um so I don't know if it was in there, but there's an introduction that Gail Simone gives at the beginning. I have that. I don't do any digital comics. I only read the physical you know, paperbacks. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Introduction by Gail Simone. Yeah, it's in here. She, yeah. Because she talks about growing up, she only she only liked reading um, like superhero comics. She didn't like the sword and sorcery stuff. Um, it was it was like it was for her. It was superheroes and then horror were her two favorite ones. And she didn't get into sword and sorcery until she saw red sonia Mm -hmm. and that's when she fell into it hard and so um i think that's why she wrote for the character so well is because that was her introduction to the sword and sorcery world was red sonia Mm -hmm. and that's why she did such i think that's why she did such a good job with this because it was her first love and actually i'm gonna sorry i'm gonna read from it because i i just find this thing to be funny And it says, uh, when Dynamite offered me any book, I chose to write the first name on their list of possibilities was Red Sonia. We never made it to the rest of the list. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's like her her dream project almost. Yeah. You know, something she was nostalgic for as a kid. And they're like, would you like to write a story? And she's like, hell yes, I would. That's cool. And and the one thing I liked about Queen of Plagues was seeing Sonia's Red Sonia as a kid and like her backstory and a little bit of an origin there. Yeah, which I think is how she rebooted it, you know, through flashbacks. I think maybe this was the beginning of of her run for this. It, it felt like it, like a bit yeah. of an origin story to it. Yeah. Yeah, you um, came out of it knowing what it was about, what she, where she came from. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I just, I like, you know, I like that the first time we meet Red Sonia, she's drunk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. she's she's drunk, she's tired, she's like just... You know, take whatever you want. Don't, don't take my sword. And yeah. then they, you know, as as often do, guys get cocky, and that's when they lose their head. Mostly, <laughs> usually, literally. Direct quote from John here. <laughs> yeah, and I love. And one thing that's cool about that is that even though she is drunk and tired, she is still very, very capable. She is yeah. the yeah. uh, she devil with the sword. So there's yeah. there's no no stopping yeah. it. But uh, two yeah. at the same time, I. I also, you know, because I always, I, I don't know much about Red Sonia than, you know, what we see in the movies and stuff. I would assume she would just kill those guys. But I kind of like that she was like, look, guys, just 
just take mm-hmm. what you need. It's all yeah. good, you know. And it's them that crossed the line, which right. That and and I kind of suspect that was more of the save the cats kind of thing because if she just all of a sudden leaped and killed, you're like, okay. But this sort of gave her that little bit of humanity that I think the reader kind of can latch on to yeah. at the beginning. She, okay, she's not just a bloodthirsty, you know, monster. And even uh, the one plague victim, you know, the one marauder that she, you know, she didn't kill. She left him a, a you know, a knife so he can take care of. It himself and i was like that was all very that honorable nice. i liked yeah. how how honorable she was throughout this entire uh comic yeah. well and i like also sort of you know as after we're, after that incident we also i believe we have the two girls that come out yeah, yeah. Uh, who who are, you know who say like we're your bodyguards but she's already the jaded hero so that's you know that's how we don't have to be introduced to how badass she is we just saw it and she's She's sort of like these two kids need to go away because I don't need them, um, and it, I think it's just a great way of reintroducing, reintroducing this badass character. Um, yeah. Also, towards the end of the story, when um, she's blinded, yes, and she's still able to hit those guys with the bow and arrow. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> that was that was so much fun. I I loved it. The one complaint I'm going to have about this entire story, please, go is for it. they. Sort of talk about the, um, was it Zamorian, Zamorian mm-hmm. king, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they they show him in flashbacks, but you you, re- you kind of get the sense that he's not part of the present day story until the very end when he shows up. Yeah, that was right. that was my gripe too. He just he it was like it was very Deus Ex Machina. Like he was yeah. just like, oh, I'm here, and it's like, and then you start thinking logistically. It's like because he just magically appears with his handmaiden, and you're like, okay, so did you wade through like all the dead bodies just to just to do your? I'm here sitting on my throne. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. It kind of came out of left field. Yeah, and, that the ending was the the only, the only part that I had issue with because of that and like it was you know it was sort of the it was it was the handmaiden who poisons him right yeah yes. yeah slowly yeah. over time yeah which is fine but we have no connection to the handmaiden yeah so Ooh. her or i should well no real connection because we just see her towards the end and that's it she's yeah. it's, she's not someone we saw earlier right no she, uh-uh. i thought she was next to him when we when he, he we first met that that cocky dude um i thought she was next yeah because i remember looking and being like there's they're the next like redstonia was in a bikini and so were they like and i guess that's where my attention went but i could be incorrect yeah but um well i mean even if that's the case i don't feel like they dwelled enough on them for us to get a connection to that character as a reader so that at the end when she's the one who kills them we I, I don't personally you I was feel, like I, yeah. I feel like it I mean it should have been Red Sonia I, mean, I was gonna say book. yeah I was gonna say you feel like she took it away from her like she yeah. like it would have been more powerful if she did it rather than the handmaiden I see what yeah. you're saying got you got so, you but but that being said I loved the story I love I love that she's powerful but she's not so powerful that she wins right away you know mm-hmm. she she loses you get that that one thing where the um Dar- i think it's dark is her name yeah. yeah um who was her her friend from the the crypt slave days yeah the slave days yeah and then she she has to surrender to her yeah and, so and the, you, yeah go Sorry. ahead <laughs> sorry Corey knows i'm like oh, well, no um, please. it's like jumping rope double dutch um 
Well, I think I was going to add to your point that when Red Sonia, the reason why she isn't able to be successful right away is because of all the things that she carries with her, all the trauma trauma in her yeah. past that she carries with her. And it's it's her own doing when she could be successful. That's all yeah. I was going to say. Which is, which is, to me, is great writing. Got to give them flaws. Got to give them something to overcome. And so mm-hmm. she's able to overcome all of this. You know, the reasons why she drinks. This is why she's drunk for, you know, a good bit of the book or in certain parts of the book because she has the stuff she has to get over. And that's, you know, that's the that should be it. I mean, to me, I I shouldn't really complain because I really do love this book. But to me, (laughs) to me, it should the end should have been her conquering over Dark Anisia because we get a lot of that back and Mm -hmm. forth. The king I didn't care about. Yeah, I'm with you, buddy. Um, I wanted the Dark Anisia stuff, which I loved. I loved all of that stuff. I loved their backstory. Um, Mm -hmm. Honestly, I didn't even want her to die. I wanted this to kind of keep going because I like that kind of stuff. I like, I like, um, there's two kind of stories that I really, really like. Uh, It's kind of like, you've seen like Hard Target, John Woo's hard, Hard Target or The Killer. I like when like, a cop and a robber have to like band together to do something like two people on two mm. different sides of the coin yeah. have to mm-hmm. band together and thus doing so they, they create a, a friendship. And then on the other side of that, I like stories about two people who were once friends and now are enemies and, you know, and they know each other so well and, you know, they still have this like past and, and this whole Red Sonia slash Dark Anisia thing really dipped into that. But yeah. I'm with you. I I wish they just didn't even have the the that king, that evil king at the end because yeah. I I felt like you got enough satisfaction out of the whole Dark Anisia stuff and even her mm-hmm. arc. I I liked her arc. I liked her sacrificing herself uh for Red Sonia. Um I just think that like I would have rather seen that stuff drawn out more and just take away the the bad king stuff, and yeah. that would give you a couple more pages to draw out the the fight between Red Sonia and Dark Anisia because that's what we were that's what we were going for the entire time. Yeah. The whole yeah, book was do... leading up to them fighting. Yep, yep, I agree you know? with that. And I I mm-hmm. like that they gave Dark Anisia this flaw because then it it makes her a little bit more relatable because now now she's just not evil. You know where she's coming from. At first she comes out. You know, she's just she's Red Sonia's equal, and then you realize she's traumatized by all the people she's killed in the past, and right. she's haunted by it. Literally, what, quite that, literally, yeah, yeah. Yes, especially in her mind, and that's what's driving her. Mm-hmm. Now, my only problem with the Dark Anisia character, um, at, towards the end, she talks about like she was thinking she was doing the right thing by by quarantining these these lands and stuff, and mm-hmm. and you know keeping the people inside so that she even says like so more people don't die, right? That was that was right. her thought, but then. When you when she is Dark Anisia and you see her doing these things, she's a little bit cruel. And I'm yeah. like, and mm-hmm. I didn't buy that that was her motivation. I would have liked to have seen her be a little bit less cruel. Um, and and then I would have maybe bought her turn uh, later on. But right. overall, you know, overall, I very much enjoyed her character. My biggest question was, who were the frog people? Where did they come from, and what was their story? Like, I, I, and it's cool that they're there's out of the blue, like you know. And I get it; like, it gives you an idea of what the bigger sense of this world is. But it's such a leap for me that I'm like, okay, a leap, yeah. So, John, do you ha- do you have any backstory on that whatsoever, or is that just something that's in in the Conan world? Are uh, these? I, I- I'm assuming it's just something that's in the world. It's actually not something I've ever come across in any of the comics I read. Now, that doesn't mean they don't exist. That just means I haven't happened to come across them. 
Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, also, wait, what frog people? Now that well, I'm thinking all about the, it, it's all not the, the girls. amphibian uh, creatures. Oh, the, it looked like it was an episode of Dark Crystal. Like, yeah. what was happening? <laughs> and, and they're all like some kind of like sea urchin type of thing. So they yeah. called them like mermen. And granted, there was only one frog guy that, you know, she. She conveniently got was able to you know meet up with later in mm-hmm. life the the frog guy that kind of like was their you know master you know slave master you know and so she right. did get her she did get her just you know rewards or whatever with that but mm-hmm. all those like mer people or or sea people you know that kind of filled out dark Anisia's um, I, I guess what I'm trying to go with is. I wish they just made them all humans, and then I wouldn't yeah. have sort of been distracted by that. Yeah, yeah, it added a different element that was almost just not needed. Like some things that were added, like the king at the end and these frog, sea urchin, dark crystal people, <laughs> like they were not needed. And I think it would have simplified the story. And maybe because honestly, sometimes I was taken out of the story because I was going back being like, did I miss when right. that came in? You right. know? I- Actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna build off of what you're saying. Uh, I think I would have rather had seen a little bit more of a simplified story as well. Um, like we just mentioned, the the king. I think all of us agree on that one. I think the the, mm-hmm. the big payoff should have been just her versus Darkinesia one on one. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and then maybe pull back on on the merman. And I think it would have made it a <laughs> bit more streamlined. And I mean. Because, like, her meeting up with that frog guy, you could have just made him look like a, a, a weird-looking dude, you know? Like, just yeah, a right. normal, weird, old, you know, guy dude. And uh, you know, it all would have just been the same sans me going, what's happening? Why are there mermen here? And there's <laughs> sure. no explanation to this whatsoever. Um, yeah. And granted, like, like it, it could be explained later. It could be something that is built upon later and has a really good payoff. But in this moment, in this Queen of Plagues trade... As a standalone storytelling device, I found it to be a little bit distracting. If not, you know, they were cool looking. I, I dug the way they looked, but I did feel yeah. they were a little bit distracting, like like you said, Tess. Do you think they're trying to make them like orcs, like where they just look so terrifying? I, you know, I mean, I, I they probably just just have fun, like you know what I mean. Like as an yeah, artist, you know, true. they're probably just there to sort of like like have fun with. Um, one problem, one not one problem. One thing I had no problem with. Uh, I was very <laughs> pleased with. The level of violence that was in the comic. I thought, oh my god, there was so much violence. It was so <laughs> gory. I've never read a comic book that freaking gory before. Oh, oh, I have such such sights to show you. Um, Please, uh, John. I, I don't know if you've read Nemesis yet. Uh, um, I'm gonna have her read I'm that. Not. You have not. No. Okay. All right. Well, you're gonna have to read that one too. It's by uh, Mark Millar, and it's basically what if Batman was a bad guy, and he it's amazing. Oh. And uh, uh, McNiven draws the whole thing, and it's just beautiful. And it's like a five issue standalone thing, you know. So, John, look up uh, look up Nemesis by Mark Nemesis. Millar. I think okay. you'll dig it. Um, but yeah, Tess, what did you how'd you feel about the violence in this? Yeah. Uh- Okay, so I'm very sensitive to gore and stuff, and usually when I read it or if I see it in a comic book, I'm like, okay, his head's chopped off. But it was so real, like, like I mean, it's not real, obviously, but I don't know how to explain it. But there was a point where I had to pause, and I was trying to hurriedly read to get past some of the parts. I was like, okay, okay, yeah, his head's off, and, like, she would, like, like knife him up the, like, 
throat, not just cut yeah. off his head, like one and done. Like I can do it when they're holding up heads. That's fine. No big deal. But when she freaking takes the sword up his chin through his head, that's when it gets me. And I was like, oh, and when they she got stabbed in the thigh with a knife or um, a sword at one point, And I was like, oh. <laughs> It was a lot for me. <laughs> That's what I survived. It, as, as weird as it sounds, I love it when they do stuff like stab someone in a, in a spot you wouldn't expect. Because there's the standard things that, you know, stab him in the chest, stab him in the yeah. stomach, stab him in the head. Then you get sort of like, got stabbed in the thigh. Nobody thinks about that. But it's like, it makes it, to me, it makes it almost more painful. Because then you imagine, oh, what was it? Oh, God, what would they like to get? Because it, it, you know it's not going to kill you. You know it's not going to kill you, at least not right away. But it's, yeah. it's going to be painful. It's like, to me, it's like watching someone get, like something having to their knees that's oh. the that's more painful to me than almost anything else because that just it looks oh the thought of like getting your knees whacked is just oh it's like oh, or your nose your nose breaks oh yeah your nose breaking one oh. when she kicked the guy in the nose and his teeth popped out and his nose crunched up sorry yeah. sorry listeners but uh. <laughs> oh man when she got stabbed in the thigh i thought of uh, ace ventura 2 when he gets the spears <laughs> and she's like oh it's in or the Talladega Nights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's funny that you bring up the guy getting stabbed through the neck or through the mouth and the jaw up through his brain. That was that was like the first kill she does in the comic. And mm. I was like, I noticed that and I was like, oh boy, we're in for Here some fun go. in this one. Yeah, because I was <laughs> I was a little worried. I was like, okay, are they gonna tone it back to kind of make it more like all ages and whatnot? But no, they didn't. They they have they have fun with it. I mean, I I have I have seen more gruesomeness, but it was definitely rated R level violence, you know. For um, sure. And so, but yeah. no no nudity, which is which is fine. I was happy about that. Like I didn't think it needed to go into the realm of exploitation, you know. Right. Like you would you would see, and I mean, even the first Conan movie has has a lot of nudity in it. Uh, the very first one was rated R. The second one was was PG, I believe. But the first one has a lot of nudity, and Conan himself has has a lot of nudity. Um, um, and it just kind of it kind of goes hand in hand with this like genre, and I'm happy. I mean, like I said, as, as someone who enjoys a, a nudie comic now and again, um, <laughs> I was still happy same, that they same. didn't feel the need to have to go there. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a need to, but there was a need for frogmen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a need for <laughs> are, frogmen. Are to you get their saying heads cut you off. would have preferred nudity to frogmen? <laughs> Dang, I don't know. That's hard. That's, that's a tough like one. A, <laughs> that's, that's what she said. I mean. Oh. <laughs> all right. It's devolving. <laughs> <laughs> we're, both, we're both, we're all like a bunch of teenage boys right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yes. So. I don't think I ever stopped being a teenage boy. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yes, I, I'm. I am a teenage boy in a 41 year old's body. You can you, you can go. ask anybody. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Be a kid forever. Whatever, dude. As long yeah. as you're paying the bills and <laughs> gotta, you know what I mean. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Now, That's Tess, it. do you uh, do you think this would lead you to to more Red Sonia, or did you feel like you know this was pretty good? I got my 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 fix, and you know I can I can move on from it. Yeah, it wasn't, it's, it's, okay, so there are two types of comic, or stories, I think. There's stories about plot, and there's stories about people, whereas this one was about people. So when it's, mm. when there's a story about people, I, unless I'm, like, really drawn to that person, and I want to figure out what the next part of their story is, I'll re, I'll keep going, but this one, I'm like, okay, I got it. Like, yeah. 
you know what I mean? Like she completed her quest, da da da. Now if it's about plot, you know, if it's a good enough, same thing. If it's a good enough plot, I'll keep going. But yeah, this one, I think I'm, I think I'm okay. But I'm glad that I have it. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I know Red Sonia now. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. What about you, John? Um, it, yes and no. Um, this was one of the one of the I think this so far is the is the best Red Sonia story I've I've ever read. And it at the end of it, I was like, oh, I want to get more. Admittedly, I have such a backlog of things I'm trying to catch up on that I was like, I, I'm gonna have to, I'm, I'm gonna have to come back to her later because right. I've been, I've been trying to catch up on on actually a lot of the sort of classic uh, stories that I never read as a kid. Like Which, what? Uh, like yeah, example. Oh geez. Um, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I wish I had my bookcase in front of me, and then I could just go down a line. Um, a lot of the the classic Batman stories that I never read as a kid, I'm, like I never read Dark Knight Returns. Um, I I I've got that one on the queue. Hush, um, uh, Red Mask, or Red Hood. Yeah. Um, Killing Joke. All those ones I still haven't read them yet. I, I'm oh. still catching up because I'm jumping around between uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, um, I read actually one of my favorite ones so far was the um, a death in the family, which is the one where Robin dies. It, the one where they they back in the eighties they had people they, call in. Yep, yeah, they voted. They yep. said, do you want to keep him or not? And they voted to kill him, so they killed Robin off. I, I find that so crazy. <laughs> I find that so interesting. Um, I was watching uh, the it's it's uh, I let Tess borrow it. It's this History Channel DVD that it it was produced around the time of the uh, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. So okay. it goes up to that, but it's like an hour and twenty minutes, and it gives you a great overview of the history of comics up to like what two thousand and one essentially. Yeah, okay. and uh, you know, and they and they talk about you know the death in the family part and and they talked to i I think it's dan dito dd or shoot uh anyways he was uh um paul denny maybe it was paul denny uh they talked to whoever was the the editor of dc back then and he was just basically lamenting about the fact that like uh that robin was was tim drake right was that tim drake or was that uh yeah that was Oh no no not Jason um, Jason Todd the next one Jason Todd it was yeah. Jason Todd and and he ta- he talks about the fact that like you know we didn't start out with Jason Todd wanting to like we didn't start up making him a jerk but mm-hmm. and he starts talking about how like just characters sort of like evolve on their own and and as long as you, if you, if the writers stay true to the character they sort of start have like a life of their own and he's like he just became like a jerk and like no one really yeah. liked him you know as you can see by the fact that we all voted to kill him essentially um <laughs> but i just found it interesting because like uh, about how a character can sort of just take on a life of its own through the through the writing and everything mm-hmm. um te- we're, we have a i want to i do want test to read like watchmen um i want to i want us to tackle like the killing yeah. joke um i want us to tackle like kingdom come i want to yeah. you know to read that like all these big like uh, dark knight uh, uh returns um, hush. i definitely yeah, hush. Read review hush yeah i yeah. love hush so I, I think those are, I mean, it's, it's important, I think, to, to have those in your, in your vocabulary so you can, right. you know, see what happened and, and know what we're sort of like building off of. I mean, and there's a reason that they're considered classics because they're all pretty darn good. Like either the artwork's amazing, the story's amazing, and sometimes you read them and you're like, oh, this seems familiar. And you got to remember, it's like, yeah, it seems familiar after the fact, but, you know, they wrote those things when it didn't, right. you know, and, and they're the ones that created uh, 
uh, all these all this stuff. So, and mm-hmm. I I have you know a bunch of comics in my wish list that that I want to read as well. John, I think we're gonna have to have you back on here when we talk yeah. about some of these big ones. <laughs> Please, yeah. I've been uh, I've also been trying to get into some of the uh, smaller ones. Actually, one of my favorite ones right now is uh, the Moon Knight series that they started in the late two thousands. I started reading that series, and that one's fantastic. Is that the one where he has multiple personalities? Uh, yeah, he is the hero who has most multiple personalities. Is this yeah. Batman? Moon Knight. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. He's sort of like he's sort of like Marvel's Batman. That's the easiest okay. way to describe him. Um, but he, but he but he has multiple personality disorder, which is which interesting. is interesting. Yeah. So yes. like I think at some point he's on he's fighting on a team or in his head. Uh, so he thinks he's on a team with Wolverine, Captain America, and Spider Man. But those are yes. all just in his head. So like yep. when when people fight him, he's he's acting and pretending like he's Captain America, and but he's still just Moon Knight. But he's also talking to himself. So you can imagine mm. the confusion on his enemies' faces <laughs> as as you know this person who's beating him up is. Also crazy, you know. <laughs> is it like the Joker where they'd make the audience believe that something was happening and then they reveal that it's not actually happening, it's something else? Well, think like, um, uh, oh, God, what's the name of that movie? Fight Club. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. Copy. Yep. Fight Club. I know exactly where, what you mean. Yeah, where, you know, he sees the character and then you realize, oh, that character's not actually there. Mm-hmm. I love those stories. Yeah. It's, those it's cool. a cool idea, and I've never read it. So, and honestly, truthfully, uh, John... Can you recommend to us, you know, even if we don't review it with you, can you recommend to Tess and I which uh, uh, Moon Knight uh, trade to, like, jump into? Because I I am intrigued by the character, and I do want to read it. Yeah, so I'd recommend starting uh, with the From the Dead trade. Okay. Um, Actually, the series right before that is the one where where he thinks he's Spider-Man and and Wolverine and Captain America. So you can actually start there. But I really like this one, actually, because it was written by Warren Ellis. Oh, hey, hey, there Who's you that? go. Thank you. Tying Who's, that so, back. So I'd Who's start Warren there Ellis? and keep going. Oh, uh, Warren Ellis is a, is a, okay, and, and real quick, John, what was the name of that trade again? The uh, Moon Knight from the Dead. From the Dead, okay. Uh, Tess, to answer your question, Warren Ellis is a big time sci fi uh, writer slash also comic book writer. Um, he, uh, he's written, uh, John, correct me if I'm wrong, he's, he's written like TV shows and stuff too, right? Or am I thinking of Straczynski mostly? Because uh, I know J. Michael Straczynski did um, Babylon Five, uh, correct? And yes. he's also he's also a comic book writer too, as well. But Warren Ellis has also done non comic book stuff, correct? Yeah, I believe he has. Yeah, yeah. And oh, cool. f- for me personally, I like Warren Ellis because he kicked off uh, the Authority until uh, uh, he wrote the first part, and then Mark Millar took over. So uh, that was my introduction, actually, to Mark Millar as well. Um, who's one of my favorite comic book uh, writers up there with Grant Morrison, which all of our Woo! fans know my my love for Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> Your psychedelic love for Grant Morrison. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. Take me to the DMT dream realm, please. Thank you. Check, please. <laughs> Check, please. <laughs> uh, but uh, this this has been awesome, uh, yeah. uh, John. Thank you so much for, for yes, coming on you. here. Do you, do you have thank any, like... Do you have any thoughts you want to close this out with on on Red Sonia or just comic books in general? Uh, we we real quick we were talking offline while while John was trying to find something, and we're definitely going to have you back on here, buddy. This yes. was so so cool. I really mm-hmm. appreciate. I, first of all, I appreciate that you guys had me on. I I I, I have listened to the podcast from uh, from day one, 
Oh, thanks, and, man. Uh, Thank so uh, I am I am a, a frequent listener. Um, um, I I don't know. I don't really have anything philosophical to say. What? Um, no. I would <laughs> just say um, uh, if you like this stuff, uh, check out my podcast, the Blast from Our Past podcast. One of the things that we do that is comic book related is uh, the, one of our sections is is we do sort of a recasting of things. Uh, it's something my brother and I have always done, where you know we'll look at a comic book and we're like, what would they? You know, who would you cast if they made this into a movie? And then when I turned about nineteen, that's when they started turning my favorite comic books into movies, so I didn't have to think <sighs> about it anymore. Um, also, it was something that they used to do in Wizard Magazine. You remember yep. that? Yeah. Um, and so we we kind of started doing that ourselves. So we do for all of our movie episodes, we'll end with a fan casting, either a reboot of the movie, um, or a lot of times we'll just take our favorite car- uh, comic book teams and we'll just cast those. So. Um, and just recently, you guys uh, did um, – well, okay, just recently, I think it was – so now if you guys are listening in February, it was early January, but uh, you guys recast X-Force? Uh, X, X-Factor. X-Factor. Yeah, X-Factor. With, yeah, my bad. Yep, yeah, X-Factor uh, with Forge and everybody. So that that yeah. was a really good one. Yeah, and then to tie it into Rob Liefeld, we also did not too much longer before that, about a month before that, we also did um, – the image team uh, Youngblood, yeah, <laughs> which I admit is a horrible comic. <laughs> Freaking Youngblood, man! I I, re- I was I, I was shaking I read my head it, the whole time. <laughs> I was re- I read it in preparation for it because I wanted to read it, and I made it about halfway through the trade, and I was like, I I can't keep reading this. Oh, Dang, God. I've never so, put a trade down, and you wow, okay, must yeah. be really so, so bad. I, <laughs> the, I couldn't the, do it. Youngblood came about when all of the big-time artists at Marvel and DC banded together and formed Image Comics in Mm -hmm. the early 90s, right, John? Like, 94, 95? I was like 95, 96, something like that. Yeah, and uh, and so, you know, it's awesome that the biggest names in comic books ever, uh, artist-wise, all started creating their own comics, and then you realize that none of these guys, and I can say guys because there are no women there, unfortunately, none of these guys freaking could write a story to save their life so todd <laughs> mcfarlane created spawn which was you know the everything was great for the artwork and then yeah. uh uh rob liefeld did uh young blood absolutely atrocious i have all the, the 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 covers i have all the plastic bags sealed of all the image <laughs> releases and honestly they were all I, I can honestly say they were mostly all trash except for <laughs> savage dragon I read Savage Dragon from issue one to issue 100, and I love that comic, and it dismays me to no end that Eric Larson's refusal to, like, put out an omnibus that's in color, he'll go and print, like, old Ooh. old collections. He does it in black and white, and I'm like, what are you doing? And I get it. Like, <laughs> I think he's I think he's the editor now of, of Image, but he's uh-huh. kept Savage Dragon going monthly for like 300 issues now or something insane and uh, yeah. I would love to get back into reading them but they're all in my mom's basement so uh, yeah live from mom's basement bro. it's Corey yeah <laughs> flash forward <laughs> <laughs> we have to do that That'd be funny. yeah yeah but uh but we'll definitely definitely have John back on the show yes. um I personally highly recommend checking out the blast from our past podcast it's a it's a great show um honestly uh the the album review episodes are are just as fantastic I and a lot of times they're albums that I've never even heard of before I'm not I, I should say I've never listened to before right. and I 
like those even more. Your uh, your Eagles album uh, was probably my favorite one you all did. I thought that was just fantastic. The Eagles live uh, one oh, you all No, it was Fleetwood Mac. Oh, yeah, da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> Damn my stoner brain. <laughs> yes, Fleetwood Mac, my bad. Um, but yeah, some it was music. very good. You're playing some music. And, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we started doing those because those are a lot of fun. And it's a great excuse to to go dive back into some old music I hadn't listened to in a while. Yeah, nobody does that. Like reviews old like live music. That's different. That's cool. That yeah. you know, that's unique. And I I got to I got to toot John your horn one more time um as someone toot, toot. who has zero musical background. Um <laughs> I uh, I says have the drums t- behind him. It, yeah. I have two <laughs> musical teachers. Uh it's you and uh shoot the guy who does uh the the soundtrack show uh, t- uh Collins. Oh. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great podcast, by the way. That is yeah. a great podcast, and I have you to thank for, for turning me on to that. <laughs> but, but, dude, like, you're literally the only other like you're the my other like musical teacher. So, like, when I listen to your all's music reviews, I mm-hmm. enjoy what you know you guys like about it. But I'm also listening to what I learn that you teach me about music. <laughs> I mean, and you probably are like, oh, this is like all 101 level stuff, but. In that regard, I am below 101 level. So anything that you sort of say, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. And on top of it, uh, we were talking about Cartwright last night. And um, uh, an episode of Seinfeld, he talks about what is the the conductor for and everything. And I'm like, right. and, and, you know, and he was like, oh, this is stupid. Why do you need a conductor? And I'm like, ah, John will tell you why you need a conductor. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> uh, well, Corey, I'm glad we had your hero on. I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I didn't know I meant so much. I'm, yeah. I'm like fanboying out. So. Uh. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh. Um, Tess, uh, where can we find you out? there in the universe of twitter spheres and stuff like that you can find me in the matrix at tessianos that's t-e-double-s-double-l-a-n-o-s actually not i said that um not in the actual matrix i'm not on twitter i'm on instagram and don't even try facebook because i don't go on there <laughs> Corey, where can we find you in this in cyberspace hey, there you go that's that's like, like johnny mnemonic in cyberspace yeah. um you can find me on most active on instagram at Corey nation and on you know a bunch of podcasts on the Blast from Our Past podcast network as well as here. Um, and, you know, you guys can find us, the show, active on Instagram, usually primarily on Instagram is where we have our most fun, and uh, and on Facebook too, but but definitely definitely Instagram, and we are not on Twitter because that is no. a crazy place. <laughs> yeah, that's, no. And, that's for politics. <laughs> and, and, John, do you want to you plug any, any of your Please, personal stuff? Yeah. Um, no, I don't really give out personal stuff, but if you want to find, um, our podcast online, you can go to Facebook or Twitter. We, again, we, mo- or sorry, not face or not uh, Twitter. Uh, we are on Twitter, but I don't, I don't even turn on the Twitter app anymore. So yeah. don't bother. Um, yeah. but Instagram or Facebook, you can do a search for at blast pass cast. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I actually, I'm following you guys. What am I saying? I don't think I realized what it was. <laughs> I don't realize what it was called. Blastcast. Blast. That. Yep. That. Way to find a way to shorten blast from our past podcast without making that the entire handle. So that's that's what we came up with. 
Yeah, we yes, us too. <laughs> yeah, we had the same problem with ongoing comic book discussion podcast, and that's why we shortened it to uh, OCD podcast. So th- thank God we got the uh, the at sign for that one. <laughs> yes, I, I don't I'm, know what we would do. <laughs> I'm surprised there isn't an OCD podcast out there already. Yeah, exactly yeah, like about actual podcast. OCD. Yeah. yeah, about actual yeah. OCDness. <laughs> I wonder um, if people are looking for like OCD podcasts, and they're like, "This is." <laughs> This not is what I'm not looking what for. I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for. Exactly. Uh, uh, well, thank you. Thank you again, John. Really, really yes. appreciate you taking the time out. And uh, guys and gals, you will definitely be hearing from John again. Uh, mm-hmm. I I would like to make him a, a semi-regular guest on, on the show because this, yes. this has been an Woo-hoo. absolute blast. If if you'll accept, John, we should probably ask him first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, John's like, uh, I didn't sign up for any of this. You're, you're taking <laughs> away from my Saturday with my children. <laughs> yeah, L- listen, I've I, as I mentioned, I've been listening to your episodes before. I am one of those people who is yelling at the in the car back at you. Yay! So this is just a, this is just an opportunity for me to actually yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> nice, perfect. We love, we love it. it. We love it. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast. I'm Tess. I'm Corey. And that's John. Yay! <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> This has been another episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion with Tess and Corey. Follow us at OCD Podcast on Instagram and Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast on Facebook. You can also review us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and support us on Patreon. Tune in next week for another episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion with Tess and Corey. Hey, this is Brent. And I'm Eric. And we are part of the Friday Five Podcast. Yes, sir. We cover everything from the 80s to today. We absolutely do. You can find us every other Friday on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Like iTunes? Like Stitcher. Oh, man. Maybe a little Spotify. Hey, and also check us out on Instagram. Absolutely. So come hang out. I think you'll have a lot of fun, and we will see you there. Yeah, bring your Proton Pack and your Ecto Cooler. And maybe some McNugget Bugs.